Judges 13. Matt, if you could turn this up a little bit. I, I, awesome. Judges 13. Um, I'm doing a series right now. We're kind of halfway through it. Um, about just basically just pulling all like those great like second grade Sunday school stories from the Bible um, that maybe you learned a long time ago. Um, when I was coming up, they would use uh, they had this black felt board, and they would tell the story, and they would put different pieces of felt up there. Anybody else? Felt board generation? Anybody? Awesome. Um, so a lot of the stories we've been doing were ones that I learned off the, the felt board and off the different um, posters and stuff that were all over the room coming through Sunday school. And tonight we're going to look at the story of Samson, um, which again, like I say every week, is one of my favorites. Um, there's a lot to cover, and so I'm going to, you're just going to trust me as I summarize some things, okay? Um, but starting in Judges 13, um, is when we're first introduced to Samuel, I mean, it's Samson. Have I said Samuel the whole time? No? Okay. If I do, just, just grace me, and it'll be okay. Um, again, uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. All right? So 40 years of oppression. Uh, and uh, verse 2, a certain man named Zora, um, certain man of Zora named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless. I love the Bible. <laughs> Captain Obvious shows up and... Uh, um, so God shows up, or his angel, uh, you're sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you don't eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth. Here it is. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. All right. So there is the the life mission statement um, according to God about this unborn child that he's going to begin the deliverance from the Philistines of this oppression that they've been under for 40 years. Okay. Um, now, when he talks about being a, a Nazarite, uh, if you really are that interested in Numbers chapter six, it starts it describes what's known as the Nazarite vow. And basically, you would take a, a Nazarite vow, just, just like, like any sort of vow that, that you take, um, is uh, you're being set apart for some sort of um, task, some sort of um, purpose. And so um, there are kind of two kinds. There's one that had like a, like a, like a shelf life, you know, like a time limit. Uh, you would take a vow for a certain amount of time, kind of like, like if you were to fast for a designated time. There are some Nazarite you know, vows that would, would be like that, and some were just for life. And uh, John the Baptist was, you know, uh, took the Nazarite vow. That's why he, like, never cut his hair and lived in the woods and ate locusts and stuff like that. Um, not that that was a part of it. But, um, so, but it, was this, it was known that so when God told her, uh, you're going to have a kid and he's going ha- to be a Nazarite, they knew exactly what that meant. And there are basically three things that, that you um, were doing as a part of what set you apart. Um, you never cut your hair. So no razor ever touches your head. You don't, uh, you don't drink uh, anything of the vine, so no alcohol or anything. 
and you have no uh, contact with dead bodies, basically. And um, so those are kind of the, the, the things. Now, if you can imagine never cutting your hair, all right, that's, that's a constant reminder, especially the older you get, of this vow, right? You get this big flowing mane, or probably with my luck, it had been this like really nappy, nasty mane. Uh, is it still mane? I don't know. Anyway, um, but so here's the here's your hair where everybody else like cuts their hair and maybe styles their hair a certain way. And you know, like back then, I don't really know what the like what they did with it, but um, basically, whatever everybody else did, like you couldn't do that. It was a constant reminder on the top of your head that uh, of this vow that you have. Um, wine was pretty much what they drank all the time uh, back then, and so there was uh, every time that like. It was time for a meal. You like were not drinking when everybody else was drinking. All right, constant reminder of, of your vow. Um, dead bodies, uh, maybe not as common, but uh, you know you had to be real careful about, about that. So there are these physical reminders of this spiritual commitment that that had been made. The whole point of this, though, was that Samson was going to be the one to to free them from this oppression. All right, that's the whole point of his life. So. When you keep going, uh, you go into uh, chapter 14, um, the, kind of the first demonstration that, that we get to see of this power that Samson is legendary for. Um, look at uh, verse 5. Basically, he met a girl, and he wants his parents to meet her. Now, she is a Philistine, all right? He is a Hebrew, and so at first they're kind of like, what? what's going on? He's like, you just need to meet her, all right? Um, so verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. <laughs> Which makes me laugh also. I'm like, oh, oh, like a goat. Okay. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Oh. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. All right, so right there should be red flag, right? Nazarite vow, no, you know, don't cut your hair, don't eat from the vine, don't touch the dead body. He looks, and there's the, the lion's carcass of this lion that he had ripped to shreds, kind of like a goat. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. All right? They didn't know that he killed the, the lion. They didn't know, they didn't tell him where he got the honey from. So right here we see him breaking one of, of you know, him breaking a part of the vow. Now, we're not going to beat him up about this, okay? We're just going to kind of move on and kind of see what happens from here. We'll definitely come back to it. So, um, basically, he gets married, and, uh, and at his, like, bachelor party or whatever, there's, like, 30 dudes there, and they're all hanging out, and he uh, makes a bet with them. He's like, I'm going to give you a riddle, and if you get it right, I'll give, I'll, I'll give all you guys clothes. And uh, if you get it wrong, then you all have to give me clothes. So he tells them this riddle that's about this lion or whatever, and, and so they're really not sure what it is. They go to his wife, and they're like, look, we can't afford to pay this debt, so if you find out the answer, we won't kill you. Fair trade, I'd say. Uh, 
So she basically just nags him and like whatever. And so he tells her, she tells them, he loses the bet, gets all mad, goes down, beats up a bunch of people, takes all their clothes to pay off his debt, and he's mad at his wife. All right? You go into chapter 15, um, apparently he's been gone, he has a change of heart, he goes back to the town to go see his wife, and her dad's like, hold up. And he's like, what's going on? She's like, well, I thought you were mad at her, so I gave her to somebody else, like your best man. And Sam's like, what's up with that? And the dad's like, what about her sister? Like, she's pretty good looking. That's what he says. I know. Um, Bad dad right there. Um, So Samson gets all mad. So he's like, I'm going to get even with you guys. Takes 300 foxes. This is all in the story. I'm not making this up. Takes 300 foxes, ties their tails together, and ties a torch to the tail also, and sends them loose in these fields. Burns all the field, all their silos, everything that was storing it up uh, of the Philistines. Burns all this stuff. They get mad, and they're like, who's responsible for this? They're like, that, that girl's dad. So they kill his wife and her dad. They burn him. And so then, so Samson gets all mad, and he comes back, and he fights a bunch of them, whatever, and kills a whole bunch of them. And he goes, and he's hiding in this cave, all right? It's all in the story, trust me. Um, so he's hiding in the cave, and his, like 3,000 of his fellow Hebrews come, and they're like, what are you doing? Like, all the Philistines are mad at us, and they're going like, to mess with us. They want you. We're giving you to them. We don't care. And so they hand him over to the, to the Philistines. Um, look at verse, uh, I'm kind of, kind of rolling a little bit faster than I thought. Verse uh, 14. So they, they tied him up and they led him out there to the people. Verse 14. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. Okay, it's another time. God's Spirit comes on him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. You know, charred flax. And, um, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And Samson said, quote, With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. That's an awesome verse. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. All right? So... Spirit of God comes on him, all of a sudden he goes crazy, picks up a bone off the ground, and just goes nuts. It kills a thousand people, all right? And then look at verse 20. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines, okay? So he had broken his vow already, but yet the Spirit of the Lord, like, is still on him, you know? And he, according to verse 20, he becomes the leader that's there, all right? Now, should be, like, mission statement accomplished, you know, is, like, right there in, in the horizon, um, he's their leader. He's got their respect. Obviously, he's a warrior. Um, I, I keep thinking of Samson and Putty from Seinfeld. And the reason is, he's just not very bright. Like, his wife tricked him into giving like, up the answer or whatever. And then, in, ver- in chapter 16, he meets Delilah. Okay? And this is where, like, the Putty side of Samson just comes in. And for me, I was reading it today, thought about Putty, made me like the story more. Take it or leave it. Um, Maybe if they do a movie, he could play Samson. That'd be cool. So, chapter 16, here, here's Delilah, all right? Delilah gets bribed by more Philistine people into trying to find out the, the, his secrets. They're like, if you can find out the secrets of his strength, we'll, we'll give you all this money, all right? All this silver. So, she's like, okay. So. She basically throws the, like, you never talk to me card to him. And she's like, 
you're all strong and and it and you won't even tell me why. I don't understand that. You need to talk to me more. You don't love me. You know, whatever. Starts wearing him down. So he says, okay. He says if you take uh, if you take bow strings like like a bow and arrow like the take those strings that haven't been dried if i'm tied up with those i'll be i'll be weak like any normal guy she's like okay baby he goes to sleep they tie him up and they've got philistines hiding in the room all right and so like he's all tied up good and secure and apparently he's a very heavy sleeper because they bind him somehow anyway so she like wakes him up uh samson the philistines are on you and he, like, wakes up and, like, snaps everything, whatever, like, ha-ha, you know, whatever. Now, here's where, there's the putty moment, number one. He doesn't catch on to the fact that, like, she tied him up. Like, she totally set him up. Because he's like, ha-ha, you know, I'm awesome. So then she says, oh, you lied to me. You made a fool out of me. Tell me, what, tell me the real deal. So he doesn't really connect the dots very well. And so he's like, okay, um, here's, uh, here, here's what you do. Um, What's the second one? Oh, okay. New ropes. He's like, all right, if it's a rope that's never been used, brand new rope, tie me up, and, uh, you know, I'll be normal. She's like, okay. He falls asleep. She ties him up. Guy's hiding in the room. She's like, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He wakes up, snaps the ropes, gags over with. Ha ha, whatever. Still doesn't connect the dots at all. She's like, you lied to me again. And he's not like, you, you tied me up again. No, no, not, not putty. He, um, he goes on, he's like, okay, okay. Um, he says, if I, you know, I have this long, flowing, beautiful hair, and if you, if you weave it into the loom and all this kind of stuff or whatever, then, uh, then like, that's where my strength is. It's, it's if my hair is bound or whatever. She's like, okay. He falls asleep. She puts his hair in the, in the deal. Philistines are in the room. Samson, the Philistines are on you. He gets up, like, breaks the loom, whatever, or whatever, again. So finally, like, she's been lied to three times, and uh, she's tried what he said three times. He still doesn't connect the dots, still doesn't understand what's going on. And then uh, look at verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Verse 16, um, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. <laughs> That's awesome. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. Now you'd think he'd have told her this by now. No. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Here's Pretty sad verse. He did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent, they set him to grinding in the prison. All right. Now, we're just going to stop right there, and let me just kind of the one big point from his life. Uh, or there's two big points tonight. The first one is this: um, Samson. 
Samson failed to live up to his calling. He was completely set up to succeed. I mean, before, you know, he was, was a gift to a, a childless couple. And before he was even born, God said, this is what your kid is going to do. You know, parents, how great would it be if before your kid was born, God showed up and was like, your kid is going to be a doctor. You know, your kid is going to be a teacher. Wouldn't it, it, it help in the way that you raised them and you could, could shape them and mold them and all that kind of stuff? Wouldn't it be great? I mean, he was set up to succeed uh, as far as vision goes. He was set up to succeed as being just chosen and having the spirit of God descend on him. And even when he messed up, I mean, God's spirit still showed up and, and did all this stuff. Um, he, he failed to live up to his potential. And this is why. Based on his, based on his actions, um, he failed to take his vow seriously. I mean, if, if he would have taken his vow seriously, he would have seen that carcass of that lion with that honey in it and been like, whoa, dead body. Got it. You know? His first thought wouldn't have been like, bees, honey, scoop. <laughs> I mean, that just wouldn't, never would have crossed his mind. Because if he was serious about his vow, I mean, getting, getting near that honey inside the carcass of that lion, in addition to being kind of gross, uh, it just would have never been appealing to him at all. Because his vow forbid that, because, because of what God had called him to. And based on his actions, I mean, he turned, he turned his disobedience into a bet with all his friends to try to get stuff. Wound up getting his wife killed, you know. If he had taken his vow seriously, he would have never told Delilah that, that the, the razor on the head part of his Nazarite vow was the key. I mean, he never would have given that up, no matter how much she nagged him or whatever. He just didn't, based on his actions, we know that he just didn't take it seriously. And so he failed to live up to his potential. And we see this all the time, like in, in like life situations. I mean, how, how many times has a, just an incredibly just gifted athlete gone into the pros and got caught up in, in drugs, in uh, the money stuff, in the partying and the whatever? I mean, we could just name athlete after athlete who have lost their jobs and lost millions of dollars because they've just made stupid decisions. They didn't take seriously the, the talent that they have and the responsibility that they have, and so they failed to live up to their potential. You see it in the entertainment industry. I mean, like, there would be no paparazzi if we didn't have just, like, bonehead celebrities doing stupid stuff all the time, you know? But these people who, like, they have, they're talented actors and actresses and singers and all this kind of stuff, and yet they just, this, they get into so much trouble because they just they don't take seriously like what they are doing and the responsibility that they have, and that's kind of stuff. It's it's unfortunate, you know, and it's it's tragic and whatever. But there are a lot of times where Christians are the same way as far as as um, their relationship with God and what God's called them to do. And if you think about it in, the, in similar terms, but much more powerful, I think, because on this side of the cross, um, I mean, we're, we're set up to succeed more so than Samson was. You know, we don't have to have the Spirit of the Lord descend on us and come on us. I mean, he lives in us. 
and he was called to you know to something great we're called to something greater right as the church i mean to to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ and to go into a, into a world that is is searching and is is suffering and is dying and to bring hope and grace and love and the gospel i mean what that's an amazing calling and God's given us all the, these gifts, you know, these ways that, that he shows up in our lives that make us unique. And we fit into this church body that's supposed to, all the gifts work together to move forward and to accomplish some things. And that the redemption of mankind on the earth is, is carried out by you and by me. I mean, wow, that's, that's huge. And yet, I think all of us would probably say that we struggle to live up to the potential, the struggle to live up to that calling that God's put on our lives, the things he's called us to. And it's not about, you know, oh, we need to share our faith more, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's not about like, like a guilt trip or anything like that. It's just the fact that God's called us to something incredible. He's given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. And he's given us a world full of opportunities. But yet I know in my, in my life, I look at what he's called me to do, and I look at the reality of, of how much I take advantage of it, and I see a real big disconnect there. And I've been around church for a long time and just have seen how big of a struggle it is, I think, for people um, because we get frustrated, you know, because you try and you try and you try and, and like you want to honor God with your life and you want to like you want you want it so badly. But kind of like Samson, like we let other things get in the way. See, for him, all this stuff just kept getting in the way, whether it was Delilah or whether it was his wife or whether it was his buddies, whether it was getting revenge on the Philistines, whether it was him just getting caught up in himself and him being this warrior, you know, that can fight with just a, a jawbone if he needs to. I mean, regardless of what it was, because he didn't take his vow seriously and what God had called him to seriously, it affected all these decisions and all these other things got in the way. And it's such an obvious like connection to our lives where there's so much stuff that just gets in the way of what God's called us to. And the thing is when when I when I when I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when I crossed over from death into life, um, immediately the call on my life was set. And the call on your life was set. Immediately. And it's just funny because in this culture that's like wanting purpose and vision and all this kind of stuff, whatever, for a Christian, it's, it's determined. It's set already. The challenge is to not let the stuff that, that messes us up, you know, and that hinders us, get in the way. And I think one thing we can learn from Samson is really it's about taking taking seriously the fact that we call ourselves Christians, you know. Taking seriously the the calling that God has put in our lives. And some of that I think goes back to to reading in the word some of the things that how God describes us, you know. 
when it says that we are to God his ambassadors. It says that we are like men sent from God, that we are the aroma of Christ. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's so The word's just full of, of descriptions of you and I. But let's be real careful, okay, not to, um, not to have this incredible vision for our lives that God's handed down and have us just, like, slump down and, and have our heads real low because we don't live up to that all the time. I don't think, I, I think that, that God, he, he wants us to take things seriously. He wants us to realize, like, just how, how amazing our situation is as Christians and how incredible it is that, that what he's called us to. And knowing that all of us kind of, maybe not as bad as Samson, I mean, eyes gouged out, you know, all that kind of stuff, but maybe spiritually that's kind of how you feel. You feel like you've messed up and you've messed up and you've messed up. And you just pretty much blown it. Maybe Samson got to that point. Maybe that's why he told Delilah that I could seek her. Maybe he's like, ah, whatever, it's too late. Well, let's finish the story. Look at verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Skip down to, uh, what did I say, 26. They're having this party. Everybody's drunk. They bring out, they're, bring out Samson. Let him entertain us. They're, they're having this worship service for, this, for their God or whatever. Verse 26. Uh, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I could feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow revenge on the Philistine, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself and against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And here's the scene from all the stories. And he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived." See, the, the second point of this story is, in the story of Samson, we see, through God's intervention, a situation that was all about weakness is transformed into a situation that's all about power. Here he is, they've shaved his head, he's lost all his strength, the gouge out of his eyes, they have him grinding down in the uh, prison, they bring him up, they're mocking him, whatever, and here he is in one last effort of faith, he prays to God and like basically like God let's let's do this. He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. He made it to the hall of faith. Samson, this incredible mess up, you know, who failed to live up to his potential and made a lot of bad decisions and was was full of pride and was arrogant and all this kind of stuff. He made it to the hall of faith with Moses and Abraham and Joshua and all these big heroes that we talk of. 
this guy, Samson, made it there. And you know why? Because God takes situations of weakness and turns them into situations of incredible strength. It's like we said earlier, where God says, my, my grace is sufficient for you, for my, what? my power is made perfect in weakness. See, when I read this story, my favorite verse in it is verse 22. If you read 21, like we read it before, then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Think about that. Think about that moment for him. You know, I mean, he woke up, didn't know that the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord left him. He was weak. He was taken. His bald head, you know, for the first time in, in his entire life, you know, that he can remember. Um, he's probably there. He has no eyes. I mean, like, it's just bad, 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 bad. And can you imagine what happened the first time that he put his hand on his head and he felt that scruff? I wonder what went shooting through his heart and shooting through his mind when he felt that scruff that was there, that stubble. I wonder if all of a sudden he was just filled with hope and filled with that sense of, of, you know what? God's not done with me. God's not moved on. He's not cast me down. I wonder if what went through his heart was what, let, what pushed him at that time when he was like, I, I got to do something. I wonder if that's what was going through his mind the whole time. He was like, put me by the pillars so I can, where I can rest between them. I wonder if that just propelled his faith forward. Maybe that's why God brought you here tonight. You know, maybe it's one of those stubbly moments where you're just like, it's not over with. You know, I haven't blown everything there. Like God is not through with me. And see, Samson, you know, he, he didn't deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. He didn't. In fact, he killed more in that, his dying moments than, than he did before. And Israel was still where they were. But throughout history, like I said in Hebrews 11, he's admired for the faith that he had, that he didn't give up. And so I don't know, I don't know how this reaches in, into your life. Maybe, maybe God is just trying to speak into your heart of like, you have got so much potential. You have been called to such great things. Start taking your calling seriously. Maybe that's the wake-up that God wants for you tonight. Maybe that's why this is the story that God had us go to tonight. Maybe you just need a good shaking. Or maybe you're just so down on yourself. Maybe you're just thinking, you know, I'll, I'll never be the husband that I need to be. I'll never be the wife I need to be. I'll never be the, the son or daughter I need to be. I'll never be the friend I need. I'll never be the, the, I'll just never be the follower of Christ that I need to be. Maybe you've just settled. Maybe you just have, so you know what? I'll be, I'll be the, the mediocre uh, version of uh, a disciple of Christ. Maybe God, what God wants to do tonight is to shoot that hope through your heart and through your mind. And for you to realize, kind of like Samson, that the hair's growing back, you know? 
I don't know what he, what he has for you. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Maybe it's a mixture. But that's why, that's why we do our services the way we do here at the ring. Because really, with all of us in this room, God brought us all here, and every one of us needs something different. So we just take a few minutes to just let it sink in and just ask God, all right, what does this have to do with me? So let's pray and let's let him do that tonight.